Hello, I'm Father Ron Shibley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church. This podcast homily for Fifth Sunday in Lent, also known as Passion Sunday, is the sixth in a series of podcast homilies for the season of Lent. Visitors may benefit from our seasonal video series on Lent, which is presented in three episodes linked from the digital library page with podcast versions on the podcast archive page at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. The series offers a brief history of the evolution of Lent, traditions of Lent in the Anglican Church, including the color and fasting traditions, and commentary on the Collect Epistle and Gospel readings for Ash Wednesday and all six Sundays in Lent in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer. The Collect Epistle and Gospel readings for Fifth Sunday in Lent are discussed in Episode 3. The Fifth Sunday in Lent, more commonly called Passion Sunday, marks the beginning of a transition from the penitential nature of Lent to the climactic events in Jesus' earthly life. It is near the conclusion of the cycle that began with his nativity at Christmas and which will end with his betrayal by Judas Iscariot and arrest on Monday Thursday, followed by the parody called a trial on Good Friday, his crucifixion and death upon the cross, and finally with his resurrection on Easter morning. The complexity of both the epistle and gospel readings for today require a longer homily to do justice to the content of the lessons. The epistle reading for Fifth Sunday in Lent, or Passion Sunday, is Hebrews 9, verses 11 to 15, which contains imagery that is not well understood in the Western Church. Hebrews is traditionally credited to St. Paul, or there has although there has always been controversy surrounding its authorship, which is why it is printed following the other epistles of Paul. <clears throat> to avoid confusion and conflict, I will refer to the writer as the author. The author of Hebrews refers to Jesus in verse 11a as our, quote, high priest of good things to come, unquote, an allusion to the mysterious Melchizedek, whom the Eastern Church scholars view as a pre-nativity glimpse or theophany of Jesus Christ. The author refers to Jesus in verse 11b as a, quote, more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, unquote, one of the most famous phrases of the first five centuries of the church. The not made with hands icon from the Syrian tradition of the late 4th and early 5th century is one of the earliest icons of Christ. The author means that Jesus, the only begotten Son of the Father, was begotten by God before creation and not as the result of any form of procreation requiring a man and a woman. The author elaborates in verses 12, 13, and 14 of things or matter from which he was not made, the blood of goats, bulls, calves, heifers, or unclean ashes. He mentions unfavorably dead works, meaning empty, self-righteous posturing, such as that of the Pharisees, whose tortured thinking plays so important a part in the gospel reading for Fifth Sunday in Lent from John 8, verses 46 to 59. 
And finally, in verse 15a, he labels Jesus as the mediator of the New Testament, written only as only mediator and advocate in the Anglican prayer book tradition, and in verse 15b, the one through whom the, quote, promise of eternal inheritance, unquote, meaning access through faith in Christ to the eternal life in the heavenly kingdom of the Father can be obtained. The Gospel reading for Fifth Sunday in Lent for Passion Sunday, John 8, 46-59, is St. John's account of Jesus' encounter with some Pharisees determined not to acknowledge him as the Son of God. This pericope is an example of occasions in which adding more verses adds context and clarity to the meaning. Here I'm adding verses 37 to 44 to provide better context. It is helpful to review quickly what happened in verses 37 to 44. The running controversy between Jesus and the Pharisees involved different understandings of the word father. For the Pharisees, the patriarch Abraham was their father. For the followers of Jesus, he had already given the world the Lord's Prayer with its implied permission to address, address his father as their father. Jesus had said in verse 37 that he knew of their blood descent from Abraham, and in verse 40 he spoke of telling the truth which came from his father God. In verse 41, they angrily respond, saying, We are not born of fornication. We have one Father, God, to which Jesus replied in verses 42 and 43, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? because you are not able to listen to my word. Traditional Christian thinking is that those who invite the Holy Spirit into their innermost being, unlike the quarrelsome Pharisees to whom Jesus was speaking, will have ears to hear and can understand his words. Jesus said something similar in several of the letters to the churches in Asia Minor in the book of Revelation. St. John's account in chapter 8 of Jesus' encounter with the Pharisees at the temple does not have a parallel in the synoptic gospels of Saints Matthew, Mark, and Luke. While St. Luke did not cover the same incident in his gospel, he did write in Luke 11:28, read for third Sunday in Lent in the Anglican prayer book tradition, this beatitude spoken by Jesus Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. For this podcast homily, I will begin two verses before the prayer book reading, starting instead with verse 44, in which the dispute mentioned above continues and which will lead to the confrontation in the final two verses. You are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it, but because I tell truth you do not believe me. 
Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He is who... He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Jesus does not mean they were not, that they were blood descendants of the devil, but were spiritual descendants of the evil one and all who hate the truth that is the basis of the Christian faith and was personified in Jesus Christ. I remind you again of St. John's theme in his gospel of truth versus falsehood. The Jews then accuse Jesus of having a demon, which Jesus denies in verse 49, and then offers them in verse 51 the promise of everlasting life if they believe the truth. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. This statement infuriated the Jews even more. Literal-minded rather than spiritual-minded, they called out in great anger in verse 53 at this offense to their father Abraham. Are you greater than our father Abraham? Further declaring that the prophets are dead. Then they asked the thundering, startling question, one still relevant today, Who do you make yourself out to be? These Jews were unable to accept Jesus' claim of descent from an unseen father. Christians must understand that Jesus of Nazareth did not simply seem or appear to be the Son of God, but actually was the living Son, the only begotten Son of the Father. For Christians, the humility in Jesus' next statement is striking and his certainty reassuring, but for the Jews, the last phrase was blasphemy. If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. And you have not known him, but I know him. If I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. The literal-minded Jews replied, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus answered with one of the I Am declarations that are unique to St. John's Gospel, saying in verse 58, Most assuredly, I say to you that before Abraham was, I am. Many translations of the Bible do not give the reader the same context as that found in the NKJV text. Instead of the before Abraham was, I am, his response in these modern translations is before Abraham was, I was, which does not have the same meaning. Such a translation is not what Jesus actually said. Here the original Greek ego emi is the equivalent in Greek of the same words which God used in Hebrew when speaking to Abraham in Exodus 3, verses 13 to 15. 
Jesus' many uses of I am in the Gospel of John are meant to say to the world that he is the same God who spoke with Abraham on Mount Sinai. To these Pharisees at the temple, he is saying in answer to their earlier question, Yes, I am greater than Abraham. Indeed, I am the same God who spoke with your father Abraham. John wrote in verse 59 that the Jews were so enraged that they tried to stone him and that Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them and so passed by. In this encounter, St. John, using the words of Jesus, has shown us clearly, as he does again in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, how one can have eyes and not see and ears and not hear. Other AIC resources on topics discussed in this podcast homily are available at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net with seasonal videos and Christian education videos linked from the digital library page with Bible study videos from the, pod, from the Bible study page and with podcast versions of all three found on the podcast archive page. Our AIC bookstore publications are available through the virtual bookstore link at the bottom of the home page. I begin in this episode with New Testament Gospels. Our Bible study video series includes a detailed discussion of Saint of John's several I Am declarations, his contrasting themes of light versus darkness and truth versus falsehood in episodes 29, 32, 33, and episode 40. The unique speaking roles for Andrew and Philip are discussed in episode 39 and episode 41. In Lent, our seasonal video series mentioned in the opening paragraph, there is an 18th century version of the 4th century not made with hands icon in episode 3. In the Lives of the Saints, from the first series, episode 1 is purchased focused on St. Andrew, episode 4 on St. John, 5 on St. Paul, 7 on St. Mark, 8 on St. Philip, and 13 on St. Bartholomew or Nathaniel. And from the second series, episode 26 is focused on the three English martyrs, including Archbishop Cranmer. From the AIC Bookstore publication, see the entries for Abba, page 1, Father, page 75, I am on pages 116 to 117, Mediator on pages 143 to 144, Theophany on pages 222 to 224, Truth on page 229, and Virtues on 234 to 235, and finally Revelation, an idealist interpretation, which includes discussion of chapters 2 and 3 and the, its several references to e to ears to hear in the letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. The first closing prayer for fifth Sunday in Lent is my own adaptation of a morning hours penitential devotion composed by Metropolitan Philaret of Moscow in the mid-19th century. The second prayer is the collect for fifth Sunday in Lent written by Archbishop Cranmer for the 1549 Book of Common Prayer based upon the Gregorian Sacramentary. 
Remember, O Lord Jesus Christ, our God, thy mercies and loving kindness, which we have, which have been from everlasting, and for the sake of which thou didst become man and deign to endure death and crucifixion for the salvation of all who rightly believe in thee. Thou rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father and regardest the prayers of all who call upon thee with their whole heart. Incline thine ear and hear the humble entreaties of us, thy unprofitable servants, who offer it for an odor of spiritual fragrance for all thy people. Grant, O Lord, grant us, O Lord, to live this day in thy peace. Bless our dealings with all with whom we come in contact. Teach us to treat all that comes to us today with peace of soul and with the firm conviction that thy will governs all. And in all our deeds and words this day, govern and guide our thoughts and feelings that we may always act firmly and wisely without embittering or embarrassing others. Direct our will and teach us to pray. Thou who with the Father and thine all-holy and life-giving Spirit liveth and reigneth ever, one God, world without end. Amen. We beseech thee, Almighty God, mercifully to look upon thy people, that thy great goodness, by thy great goodness, they may be governed and preserved evermore, both in body and soul, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you, May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church, and we invite you to visit our website and make use of its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.com dot net